I think we're all aware that today is Remembrance Day, 11th of the 11th. Uh, it's a day to stop and acknowledge the end or the, or the end of the First World War, to reflect upon the tremendous loss of life that occurred that we might experience and enjoy freedom in our nation. I know there are other conflicts that have taken place since then. There was a Second World War that came after the war that was supposed to end all wars. And uh, we are around about 100 years removed from that conflict. When you read the history, it's still very, very sobering today. Thousands and thousands and thousands of predominantly young people whose lives were sacrificed on the battlefield. Remembrance is an important concept in the scriptures. We have communion, or as some people call it, the table of the Lord, to remember a battle that was won for us not 100 years ago, but some 2,000 years ago. And the Jews, if you study the Old Testament, you'll see that there are many times that are memorials for them. There's the Passover and various other special occasions on their calendar to remind them of what God did for them as a people and then later on as a nation. He was taking care of them before they were really established as a nation. And along the way in their history, even after the Exodus, there were new memorials that were added as the history went along and God took care of them again and again. When you get to the time of Queen Esther, the feast of, I've always said Purim, but apparently it's Purim, was instituted to remember how God used Mordecai and Esther to save the Jews from the wicked plot of Haman. And your life and my life are made up of many, many memories. And uh, amongst our family and our friends, the connection we share is shared experiences and stories. That's what is the fabric of those relationships. That's what it is that forms the connections that we have. And when you get together with friends and family or people that you've known a long time, we, we laugh and sometimes cry about the things that we remember. And if you, the older you get, the more you hear the same stories over and over again, and then your kids hear the stories, and then their kids hear the stories. And see, what, what is happening in those relationships right now in the present is actually the forming of what will soon be a part of our collection of memories things that are happening right now in a short period of time will be filed away as experience, as memories, as things from the past. Nehemiah had miraculously been granted permission to go back to Jerusalem and to repair the city or particularly the walls of the city of Jerusalem. When, when you consider the captivity that he was in and the king that he was, politely putting it, a servant to, he was really a slave, the fact that the king would consider why Nehemiah was upset and then when he found out why Nehemiah was upset that he made provision to address Nehemiah's concerns is nothing short of miraculous. It was not a democracy. It was very much a dictatorship and all Nehemiah had to do was say the wrong thing and the king could kill him and there was no recourse, no appeal. It was just he was the king. And so miraculously Nehemiah gets this permission to go back to Jerusalem. And then when you read the previous verses to our text, when he gets there, he discreetly goes around at night, I believe it was, and examines the condition of the walls and the gates, sees how broken down they are and how in desperate need of repair. And then afterwards he gathers the people in where we read 
and he exhorts them to consider the state of the city. It's the first thing he said. But then he reminds them that God was with them and that even the king of Persia was supporting them. And the people that he spoke to caught his enthusiasm. They caught his message. They caught what he said. And they said, let's do this thing. Let's build the walls of the city of David again. And if you study history, the the devastation that had been brought upon Jerusalem was not just an occasional crack in the wall or something like that. They wiped that place out. And it was almost in something we would consider to be ruins. But before that even mixed their first... Well, if it was in Australia, their first wheelbarrow full of concrete or cut down some trees for timber, there were people that mocked them and ridiculed them. And Nehemiah's response to those wicked men was that God was on their side, that they were going to do this good work, but that those mockers would have no part in what God was doing. None of it would belong to them nor would they be remembered as being a part of what God was doing. You see, Sanballat and his cronies lived in the same area as those that were in and around the city of Jerusalem. They didn't come from far away to make fun of Nehemiah and the other Jews. They didn't travel across the land, but they were right there in their neighborhood, and they could have very easily been a part of what was going on. They could have said, hey, this is a good thing. We want to rebuild the city. Was it going to be messy? Yeah, it was. The Bible says there was a lot of rubbish that had to be dealt with. So much rubbish, in fact, in one part of the book of Nehemiah, I think it says that they became discouraged. There was so much junk and refuge and broken down this and trees growing where there should have been houses. It was just a mess. They would have got discouraged. But was it hard work? Absolutely. It was hard work. But how do you think those people felt that were with Nehemiah when the city was finally finished and the temple was rebuilt and the worship of the one true living God was reestablished, how do you think it felt to walk through a gate that you'd help to build again? How do you think it felt to be a Jew and run your hands along the walls of a city and remember when it was just rubble and you stood there with brethren and laid stone or brick or whatever it was upon top of another stone and saw those ruins restored to what they originally tried to be. How do you think that felt? But what about the mockers? Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. There was no memorial for them. There were no memories that they had that were a part of the city of God. And for just a couple of minutes, the thought that is on my heart tonight is the right way to remember. The right way to remember. Have you ever been at a family gathering? Somebody tells a story, starts telling a story from your family, might be 5, 10, 20 plus years ago, and then somebody else in the family questions their version of events. And they say, no, 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 that's not what happened. You've got that wrong. And sometimes, depending on what kind of robust fellowship your family enjoys, a dispute might break out and people start saying, you know, all sorts of things. But it's funny how two people who were both there can have different versions of the same story and both be completely convinced that their version is the King James Version and that the other person's memory is in need of repair. Amen. You see, we can all look back over our lives 
We can see our mistakes. We can see our failures. We can see our pain. And we can see our struggle. And all of those things, as we heard this morning, make up the picture of our lives. They all go together. They, you can't have the picture without them, without a great big hole in the picture. But there is a right way to remember our history. There is a right way as the children of God for us to remember everything that we've been through. The good, the bad, and the in-between. I am not of the school of thought that suggests that we should pretend that none of it happened. That somehow as Christians we just think that everything was fantastic because any of us that have lived for a minute know that that was not the case. We know there was pain. We know there were valleys. We know there was struggle. We know there were things that we'd rather not visit again if we have the choice. But when we remember it the way I believe God wants us to remember it, we can be like the psalmist David who said, if it had not been for the Lord that was on our side, now may Israel say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up quickly. When their wrath and their anger was kindled against us, the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream had gone over our soul. The proud waters had gone over our soul. But then he said, Blessed be the Lord who hath not given us as a prey to their teeth. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven in earth. There was no denying the struggle. There was no trying to play down the trauma that they'd been through. He said, if it wasn't for God, if it wasn't for the Lord who was on my side, then my history would read a whole lot differently. I'd have gone down and never got back up again. I'd have been wounded and never recovered. But our soul has escaped as a bird because the Lord is on our side. And we need to be able to look back at every chapter and every page and recognize that even when some of it was a product of our own choices, that if we're serving Him today, we can say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, that would have destroyed me. That would have been the end of me. That would have been where my story came to an end. But God breaks the snare, sets the captive free. Amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. I was listening to some preaching while I was uh, updating the podcast recently. I listened to Sister Sheila's message. Don't get all cringy over there, Sister Sheila. It was an excellent message. But Sister Sheila testified about when she and Brother Miles first came from Zimbabwe and how the, what it cost them to come and what they had to leave behind and how they arrived in Australia with not a whole lot to speak of in terms of wealth and possessions. And Sister Sheila spoke in her testimony of how that was all quite traumatic and understandably so. But then she finished that testimony by saying that where they are now, with Brother Miles in hospital, the care that he gets in the public health system here, compared to what he would have got if he had these health issues over there, is so much greater. And see, that's the right way to remember. You can look back at the trouble. But you can see where the picture completes and the sun comes out. We say, Lord, at that time, I thought I wasn't going to make it. But if because you were on my side, I knew I'd come out. There is a right way to remember things. Your present struggle 
is preparing to become your testimony. What you're struggling with right now is being fashioned into tomorrow's testimony. Soon it will be filed away under memories of the goodness of God. Right now it doesn't taste good. Right now it hurts, but if we will look to Him, there is coming a point where it will be in the past and we will go, I remember that season. I remember that struggle. I remember that heartache. But God set me free. God brought me through that situation. And so now when I remember it, I remember pain, but I give God glory. There's a right way to remember the way our lives have gone. Amen. When you look back at your past, you can choose. Say that again. You choose to remember it one of several ways. You can look back and feel condemnation and shame. That's what the devil wants. He wants us to feel condemnation. That's his business. Or you can look back and rejoice at how the Lord redeemed you, delivered you, and set you free. And then if you're really unwise, you can look back with a desire to return to the old life. It's amazing in human nature how when things get hard, we look to go backwards. We look to go back to something that is familiar to us. Amen. They're all the same memories, but they're different ways to choose how you remember them. You see, the Passover, the Passover was given to Israel so that they would never, ever forget Egypt. God said, I don't want you to ever forget where I brought you out of. He wasn't glorifying in the captivity. He wasn't happy about the fact that they'd been enslaved and and worked almost half to death, some of them probably to death in the brick pits. He wasn't saying that was a great time in your history. But I want you to remember that because I was on your side. And when you cried out to me, I remembered my covenant with you and I brought you out of there. And every single year on this day, you're going to get together with your family and you're going to remember what happened. Amen. Deuteronomy 15 and 15 says, And thou shalt remember that there was a bondman or a slave in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord redeemed thee. Therefore I command thee this thing today. That verse, if you read it in context, is actually about how you treat your brother or sister that might be in debt to you. Remember, hey, you were a slave once. When your brother's in trouble, remember that you were in that tough situation. However, unfortunately... There was another way that the children of Israel remembered Egypt. Numbers 11, 4 to 6, says that the mixed multitude that was among them fell lusting. The children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. I need to look at the meaning of the word freely. The cucumbers and the melons and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away and there is nothing at all besides this manna miraculously provided fresh every day before our eyes. Here's the question. Which way do you remember your Egypt? When you look back, do you think, man, they were the good old days? We had garlic and onions and fish, cucumbers. Cucumbers, whoopie do that. Cucumber tastes like a whole lot of nothing. But see, we've got to be careful because if, if we're remembering those things and forgetting the whip, the lash, the bondage, being under the heel of the devil in the shackles of sin, 
we start looking back at that with fondness, we've got to check the way that we're remembering. Because that's not how God wants us. That's how the devil wants us to remember. He was trying to get a multitude to turn around and go back into captivity over basically some food because they didn't have the buffet that they thought they wanted. You see, there are things that we want God to remember and there are things we want Him to forget. The psalmist said in Psalm 25 and 6, they said, Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness for they have been ever of old. He's saying, Lord, don't forget how merciful you are. Don't forget how kind you are, Lord. You've had that for a long time. And then verse 7 says, Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions, but according to your mercy, remember me for thy goodness' sake. We don't want God to remember all the things we've done wrong. Amen. We want to remember how nice he is, how much he loves us. Jeremiah in 31 and 34 says, They shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So here's the question. Can God actually forget? When God says he won't remember your sin, can he actually forget? When the psalmist said, please don't remember the sins of my youth, is this some kind of celestial memory wipe that God has? He just gets a portion of his memory erased? I don't believe that's the case. I believe it, rather it's a statement of, first of all, desiring forgiveness for those sins. And secondly, that they would not hinder or harm my relationship with God in the present. When it says, don't remember the things I did, I don't want them to impact where I am with you today, God. I don't want those things to be awkward between us. Because God, by definition, knows all things. I don't know, you can correct me if you think I'm wrong, I don't think God can actually forget something. But it's talking about how when He interacts with us, when He's in relationship with us, when I go to Him to pray and I worship Him and I'm reading His Word and seeking His will for my life, He's not viewing that through what I may have done before. But those things are history. They're forgotten, if you like, in the practical sense, in the right now. He's not saying, well, I'd love to help you. I'd really love to give you that direction you're asking me for. But do you remember in 1973, August the 12th, you stole something? God doesn't do that. When it's repented, he moves it out. It's forgiven. It's gone. It does not affect. That's why the Bible says he sees us as righteous in his sight, even when we know that what he's seen and what we remember are not necessarily on the same page. Amen. And it's a similar principle. This is where it gets quiet. It's a similar principle when we forgive each other. We don't have our minds wiped. When somebody hurts you some way or another, you don't, when you forgive them, you don't suddenly lose a day. You know, I can remember Monday, Tuesday, no, can't remember Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It doesn't work like that. It's not that you literally forget, but rather the memory of that no longer impedes my relationship with my brother or sister in the present. I don't forget the act or the experience and sometimes even the pain, but how it affects me in the present. And if our memory of some offense still harms our relationship, then our forgiveness may need to be reviewed. Amen. When the Lord forgives us, thank the Lord he's not human. 
when the Lord forgives us, He doesn't bring it up later to point out our shortcomings. You know, if you get into an argument with God, oh, let me I remember when you did this. Don't be telling me. None of you've ever done that in your families or your marriages, or never, never before. We all forgive. We never ever bring up the past because we're all godly. Help us, Jesus. At least to be honest. But the Lord doesn't do that. When we've made it right with Him, that's gone. It doesn't matter what it is. He forgives. Amen. And it's very important how we remember things because how you remember something affects your present. Talking to a friend on the East Coast just recently, somebody that I've known a long time, and we're doing what you do with relationships, with talking about memories, talking about the past, talking about things you remember from years gone by. And there was another man that he mentioned that we knew years ago, and this man had a, a pretty rough life. He had a pretty harsh life. It went through a lot of pain, a lot of mistreatment at very, the hands of various people. And they were in a conversation, and this man brought up an event in history, and I'm talking nearly 30 years ago. And his version of that event was fiction. It wasn't just hazy. It was, it was completely untrue to the point that he claimed there were people there that were in another state at the time. And that things happened that nobody else remembers ever happening. But because of this man's pain and the things that he had been through, he, was not, he didn't believe he was lying. He was convinced that was actually what happened. We've got to be careful how we remember things. But be very, very careful how we remember things that we do our best to remember them the way the Lord would have us to remember them. Amen. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 and I'm nearly done. Unresolved pain over time can put layer upon layer upon layer in our memories until we are convinced it is fact and nobody can tell us otherwise. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11 says, Wherefore, remember, Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, reminding them of what God had done. He said, Wherefore, remember that you in times past were Gentiles in the flesh. You were unclean. You were not the people of God. and You were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That's a King James way of saying the Jews considered you dogs. That's what it's saying. The Jews were clean. They were God's people. You were unclean. Not fit for the covenant with God. And verse 12 says, And at that time you were without Christ, being aliens, that doesn't mean little green men, but it means they didn't belong. They were strange. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, they didn't belong to God's covenants, to His relationship with His people. Having no hope and without God in the world. Paul said, you guys need to remember this. He said, because in verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes afar off, are made nigh or brought close by the blood of Christ. 
Why is memory important? Go to Revelation chapter 2. Now this is John, not Paul. But he's writing to the same church, the church at Ephesus. And again, he starts with Revelation 2 and 5. Remember from where you have fallen. Remember where you were when God put you there. Somehow along the way, they'd slipped. They said, remember where you've come from and repent and do the first works. Get back to remembering what God did in the first place. Remembering where he saved you from, what he delivered you out of. I mean, Ephesus was a place full of wicked idolatry and immorality and all that. You've got to remember the ancient world that Paul went into had no knowledge of Christianity whatsoever. None. It was, it was new. It was brand new. Corinth, Ephesus, Galatia, all of those places, they were completely ungodly. I mean, you can go to places in the world today that are not Christian nations, but they've heard of Christianity. You can go to Pakistan, which is a, a, a very conservative Islamic nation. There are Christians there. When Paul first went to places like Ephesus, there were none. Not just the church of your flavor, none. No Christian churches, no Jesus, no nothing. Except for the pockets of Jews that lived there. And they were most of them were Old Testament until they came on board. That's the lesson for another time. But somewhere along the way, between Paul's epistle and the book of Revelation, they've sort of forgotten what God has done. They've slipped and they forgot how good God was because the first works has to do with love. Love of God, love of His people, love for what God has done for them. That's why it's so important that we remember the right way. I want to finish with 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting at verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. The first thing he did, he said, I preached it to you. He said, which you've also received. They believed in what he said. And wherein you stand, by which you were saved. There's a process there. But then there's an if. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. He said, I've preached it to you. You received it. You're standing it. It's what saved you, but you've got to keep it in your memory. See, there is a right way to remember. Some of us have been in this church for decades. We've seen a lot of things come and go. We've been through some tough times. But if we're still here, the right way to remember is I'm still here. I'm still in the house. When the Lord comes back, I plan on being here. If he comes back Sunday morning, I'm going to be in the house of God. Amen. Because we, we've been through things. You know, when you look back at God's track record, and some, this is not original with me, but when you look back at God's track record of how He's kept you, He's doing pretty well so far. He hasn't had too many bad days. He hasn't dropped the ball. He hasn't let you down. And so if you're in the middle of something hard right now, it's going to be a memory shortly. It's going to be part of the right way to look back and go, I know where God brought me from and where I am and remember the way that He wants us to remember. When you remember things the right way, your overriding attitude is gratitude. 
Gratitude, and you've heard me teach this before, and I'll teach it again and again. When you're grateful, it's virtually impossible to have a heart bad spirit. When you are genuinely thankful for the goodness of God, that is not compatible with a bad spirit. Gratitude can take care of a whole lot of things. Now they say an apple a day keeps the doctor away. I don't know if there's any science to that, and I'm not really interested, Cass. But gratitude, daily thanksgiving, will keep you clean from a complaining spirit, from remembering things the wrong way, from always remembering the pain and never the deliverance, from always saying, I went through this and forgetting, hey, God brought me out the other side. Thankfulness is powerful in the kingdom of God. Let's stand together.